The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, well, we're going to continue in our study in Mark, where today we're looking at the parable of the sower, which is in Mark chapter 4, verses uh, 1 to 20. And uh, Jesus has, you know, last week we looked at there's constant crowds around Jesus, and the crowds are growing, and sure enough, in this passage, it begins with a very large crowd, so much so that Jesus goes onto a boat, and he teaches everybody upon the shore. <clears throat> last week, they had a boat ready to take him in case he was going to be, could be crushed. And, um, and so he tells this parable about the crowds and, and about the people listening. And it's really important. This is one of the most important parables because this is the beginning of the parables, the parable of the sower, and it's really about how you listen. It's whether you're coming into the kingdom or you're not. So let's give attention to God's word together. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat, sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain." And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let me pray again for us. Lord, we pray that we would have ears to hear, and not just to hear, but to understand, to accept, and most of all, to bear fruit. May we not forget what we look like as one who looks in a mirror and then forgets, but pray that your word would, this living word would do its work in our hearts, bringing forth fruit that would bring glory to you. We ask in your name, amen. There's a lot here, and 
let's just jump in. I have kind of two imageries or word pictures in mind when you think of these thorns and thistles, and Jesus is spreading the word. And uh, years ago, a few years ago, I was on Shady Grove Road, and every day I would come to work right around Christmas time. And every time I'd make the left off of my street onto Oakmont, right by the post office, there's a sidewalk, and the sidewalk is cement sidewalk, but there was this huge weed that had grown up out of the sidewalk. And I got so humored by it because somebody put an ornament on, the, on this weed, and the weed was about four feet tall, and it would just look like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. And I got so humored by it that every day I would pass by this, and here's this crack in the concrete with this one weed and one Christmas ornament. And then you contrast that with what we're seeing right now in this fall. This has been, in my estimation, the prettiest fall that I can ever remember in all my life. The, the colors have just been exquisite. The yellows have never been more yellow. The, the reds have never been more red. And the oranges are, are just beautiful. And I was talking to my neighbor last night who's elderly, and she really studies all this stuff. And so I was telling her how, and she said, well, what are you noticing? Tell me. And um, she's like, you know, because I have, I said, well, three things. I can't, I'm, I'm trying to remember the three things I told her, but she gave me a couple more that, that to add to. But I told her the colors just seem more exquisite. And then the other was um, the lack of acorns. So we have all of these oak trees in our neighborhood, and usually by now our driveway is just a different color because we're crushing acorns every time we come up. But for some reason this year, there's a lack of acorns, and I'm worried about our little uh, squirrel friends because it's going to be, there's just a, a real lack of acorns. But the, the other is, is they're all coming down now so fast. Like, they are coming down faster than I can ever remember. I mean, we're just like mounds of, of leaves in our neighborhood. And so here you have these two imageries. One is just this, you know, concrete weed with an ornament, and then you've got these huge oaks that are, and, and my neighbor noticed, she said, you know, I think the leaves are actually bigger this year which I hadn't thought about, but starting to think about the leaves even look bigger. And so you have this imagery of like Psalm 1, Isaiah 61, Psalm 92, which I'll just give them to you. The Bible talks about what mature Christians should look like is oaks of righteousness planted by the Lord. And it says to display his beauty or that he may be glorified. And so as Christians, we're to be these oaks of righteousness, not this little weed with a Christmas ornament growing up through concrete. And Psalm 1 describes believers as those who delight in the word, right? They meditate on a day and night. And they're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit when? In its season, its leaf doesn't wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And it's because they're near the word, and they're, they're going down deep into the, to the water, and now they're bearing fruit. And then Psalm 92 has this wonderful description uh, we looked at this recently. It says, the righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age, and they're ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He's my rock, and there's no unrighteousness in him. So you have this picture of cedars and palm trees and planted by streams of living water, or you've got this Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Well, 
Jesus is saying to us this morning with this idea of like, the garden is our heart. Let's memorize a verse this morning. Verse 14. You want to memorize that together? Here it is. The sower sows the word. You got it? The sower sows the word. Is that very hard to memorize? Let's try it together. The sower sows the word. There you go. Mark 4, 14. We just memorized a verse together. Um, the word is what's so important here, okay? So if you look at this, this, just look at verse 13 down to verse 20, we see this, the, the word isn't the problem. The sower isn't the problem, okay? And then you just keep coming back to the word, right? Verse 15. These are the ones where the, word, where the word is sown, and they hear it. Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. Verse 16, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it, and, but then they have no root. They endure for a while. But when tribulation or persecution comes on account of the word, then they stumble or fall away. And then we have those among the thorns and those who hear the word. But the cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for other things, come in and choke the word. And then the last one is those that are on the good soil, those who hear the word and accept it. So the, the word is the key thought, is what are we doing with this word? And the idea here is that this isn't like American Idol. This isn't like Dancing with the Stars. This isn't like The Voice, where there's a select few judges that are, you know, kind of famous people, and they get to decide who stays and who goes and or, you know, some of these shows you have a studio audience and you have a viewing audience and they get to vote on what they think of, and at home to determine the talent and they get to pick their stars. And I wonder if somehow we can subtly get into a mindset about a, a worship service that's kind of this American idea is that we get to kind of vote today whether we like the service, did we like the songs did we like the tempo? Did we like the pastor? Was the church very warm and welcoming? Did the sermon have a good introduction? And, a, and, a, and did he preach the word and have a good conclusion? And, and did we feel good about it? And we asked people, you know, what did you think of the service? And really, none of that's really very important. Because the Bible says that God is the judge. The Word is living and active. It judges the thoughts and attitude of our hearts. It's reading us this morning, and it's making a verdict about us. And either we're like duck, water on a duck's back, and as soon as the, it hits us, before, before we even get home to lunch, we have forgotten everything that we've heard, and the enemy has come in and stolen it. And you can remember lyrics from songs, movies, and every TV show or whatever, but you can't remember what the pastor preached on a half hour later because it doesn't really interest you. It's easy to kind of, you know, have this idea of like, we're the ones that get to critique this, but the Bible is very clear that Jesus is saying, this is the entrance of the kingdom, is how we're hearing the message. Are we really hearing it with spiritual ears, not just physical ears hearing it, but then is it coming down? Is it being going down into the heart? It says they hear the word, they accept it and bear fruit. And the idea is it's, a, it's planted on good soil. Luke's account says with good and noble hearts, they bear fruit with patience. Are we bearing fruit with patience? And so God's word is the authority. We're not in the authority. 
And what we see from this word is that you can, be with, you can even be with Jesus. You can be in the room. You can be in the sanctuary. You can be hearing the word. You can put the Bible under your pillow at night. I've met people, you know, they, they sleep with the Bible under their pillow because they think it'll protect them. I remember one time selling something to somebody on Craigslist. I was selling him a bicycle, and we got talking, and he was telling me that he keeps, he keeps a Bible in his car, you know, at all times, because he really feels like that Bible in the car is his protection. It's basically a rabbit's foot on, on, on the uh, rearview mirror. You know, he just keeps the Bible in the car. I'm protected. And anyway, that ended up being a great opportunity to actually share the gospel with the guy, because he, you know, he, there, there's something there, but, but you, can, you can have the word close to you. You can even read the word, but proximity doesn't necessarily change you. And what Jesus is saying is, is you may know the truth, and that doesn't necessarily change you. You can talk to others about the word, and that doesn't necessarily change you. There's lots of things that you can do with the word that aren't going to change you. But are you hearing the word? Are you accepting the word, receiving the word, delighting in the word, loving the word, and letting it transform your life so that you're bearing fruit for him? You see, listening to the word isn't about, it's not an academic exercise. This isn't like you'd listen to a lecture in a university hall and you think, oh yeah, I'm going to take some notes. This is really good. It's not, a, it's not an exercise where we listen and we say, that would be good for so-and-so and that would be good for so-and-so. And it's easy to listen to the, to the sermon thinking, I think I know who needs to listen to that. I know who needs to hear that message. And we forget that we need it for ourselves. This word is soul nourishment. And our souls are starving without it. And we're to digest and distill the word into our life. It's one thing to be in the word. It's another thing for the word to be in us. Is it in you? Or is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly, as Colossians talks about? That's the idea of being filled with the spirit. Are you, are, and, and to do that, we have to make room for the word, right? So just as you have a garden, you have to weed you got to get rid of all the things that will come in and choke your garden. And the Bible actually talks about breaking up the ground of our fallow hearts. And you think, the Holy Spirit needs to be a rotor tiller because my heart by nature is just like hard. It's a hard surface. And it has to be dug out. They have fallow hearts, meaning hard, hard hearts. And God has to break it up. We have to ask God to make it fertile. And so we have to repent, specifically where we need to repent over sin, but then we also have to believe in the gospel, and then we have to ask him to open the eyes of our hearts so that we can see and discern, because for some, this, this parable is a grace, but to others, it's a judgment. Isn't that interesting? Because it's saying, you know, how we, he's saying that these were spoken in parables that some may not understand. That's a scary thing. That the word is either a grace to you or it's a judgment. And so if we understand this, how should we properly pray for, for one another? We think about the worship service, we always tend to pray more for the preacher. But we should be praying actually more for the hearers, if we understand this. Because it's one thing, I mean, the preacher needs to be prayed for. Ephesians 6 and other places talk about boldly proclaiming the gospel. But the Bible seems to have a lot more to say about 25 times in the Bible it says, pay close attention or pay attention. 25 times, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. That's a lot. Because we must pay closer attention to what we heard lest we drift away from it. For since this message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a, a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Hebrews 2, 1 and 2. 
And so when you think about your heart this morning, there's kind of those imagery of the, the big oak tree or this, you know, this weed growing up through concrete. Ultimately, what God is after in our hearts is this idea of bearing fruit. And the idea of bearing fruit is faith expressing itself in love. What matters, right, is, is not circumcision or uncircumcision, Paul says, but what matters is faith expressing itself in love. That's the essence of what the Lord is, is looking for, not just foliage, but ultimately fruit. And so you have these four, four hearts here. You have, and I'll give you four eyes to describe them. The first one is impenetrable. It's just the hard heart. That's verse 15. Verse 16 and 17, you have the impulsive heart that quickly springs up, the very emotionally driven, and then falls away. Verse 18 and 19, you have the idolatrous heart that's choked. And then the last heart is the increasing heart. It's increasing. It's growing. One of the places that I probably least like uh, in the United States is Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And it's, it's a tourist trap, and if you like it, it's okay. And part of my, bad ex- my dislike of it is I had a bad experience there. And so Kim and I, when we were been married a few years, and actually hadn't, was a very young infant. Uh, this is back before caller ID, and uh, they still had a landline. And, and somebody called me, and I had won a free weekend to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And I thought, I am pretty special, I guess. I guess I've won this free week, you know, like I had really won something, you know? But all you have to do is sit through at the very end, you have to sit through a, a little speech about uh, why you need to invest in this timeshare. And so, well, I thought, what well, great, we'll get a free weekend away, we'll go to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, we'll get to stay in one of these nice timeshares, and we'll get to enjoy some of this beauty. Well, we get there, and they put us up in the days in motel. So, so, and let me tell you, it was not exactly a five-star hotel, okay? So we're at the Days Inn, and it's just mobs of people everywhere, and it's not exactly what I thought of as my weekend getaway. But then, the Sunday afternoon, you have to hear this hard sell, and they were just laying it on, and they are really doing everything they can, and Kim doesn't mess around. Okay, and Haddon was not doing well. So Haddon is just like fussing, crying. He's done. And they're still trying to lay on this hard sell. And Kim just cut to the chase with the guy and basically said, she said, I will never be interested in one of these timeshares. And the sooner that you can finish this thing, it'll be better for you, better for me, like better for all of us. Like, you just need to end this, buddy. Like, and she, you know, and it was like, oh, yeah, I mean, she just, and that's, what, that's how some people are actually listening to the Word of God, is they actually come because somebody brought them, but they don't really want to be there. They're there for some obligatory reason to appease their parent or to appease a spouse, but they don't really want to be there. And they really would like to give the pastor a piece of his mind and tell him, if you would just hurry up and finish that sermon so I can get home, you know, Kirk Cousins is coming to town. We got a one o'clock kickoff. Can you get to it? You know, let's get, let's get a move on here. We got other things that are more important. And we don't see the importance. And so for, for Kim and I, we, we were not interested at all in a timeshare. No value whatsoever. And that's how some people view the word. It's just, it is not valuable, not relevant to their life. And they don't see any of its importance. They're like Lot's sons-in-law. When the word came to them, 
And the word was, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But Lot's sons, they said they thought he was jesting. Obviously, they didn't think, there's no real danger here. There's no real need for somebody to save us from some kind of fire or something. And Lot's sons and all saw no need to heed that warning. Wasn't relative, wasn't relevant to them. They didn't think there was a real need or a real fire coming. And that's how some people feel about the Word of God. Not important. That's the impenetrable heart. And the scary thing is that the Bible says that a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from above, that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God, that we actually need spiritual ears to hear because Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. He's taken them captive to do his will, he says. And so what do we need? We need God. And so we need to pray that God would open up our eyes. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. He says, nowhere does he labor, the devil labors so hard to stop the progress of that which is good and to prevent men and women from being saved. From him come wandering thoughts, roving imaginations, listless minds, dull memories, sleepy eyes, fidgety nerves, weary eyes, distracted attention. In all these things, Satan has a great hand. People wonder where they come from and marvel how it is they find sermons so dull and remember them so badly. They forget the parable of the sower. They forget the devil. Yikes. So that's the impenetrable heart not interested. Then you have the impulsive heart. And I think as we were praying today for the persecuted church, and you think about how different areas of the world are affected differently, like we're the third soil. That's America, right? I mean, the the second soil, though, is that when tribulation or persecution comes, the temptation is to say, this isn't what I signed up for. This is greater than what I was thinking it was going to be. This is a lot harder And it sprang up immediately with joy, but now it's turning away in disappointment. And isn't it interesting that the text does say in verse 18, it doesn't say, you know, Jesus just kind of has some teaching here that's kind of implicit, but you just kind of read along, you're like, oh, that's that's interesting. It says, um, starting in verse 16, he says, uh, or 17, they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then, when... Tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately they fall away. He doesn't say then if. It's a when. It's not an if, it's a when. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, the idea is that it's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. If you, there's a cost to following Jesus. We all kind of get that, I think, is that, you know, you think, well, I'm going to follow Jesus, but my, your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers, not everybody's just going to be totally on board with you and just patting you on the back and just loving it. No, you're going to be uninvited. You're going to be not invited. You're going to be not promoted. You're going to be not employed. You're going to be not picked. You're not, not included, not sought out, left out. As you start to feel like, what happened? And it's because your worldview is not inclusive and loving as the way you're being perceived, even though you're being excluded and unloved yourself. But you're the one who's the problem. That's how you receive that. And the temptation will be to quit, to stumble, to fall away, to say this is too hard, this isn't what I signed up for. And the immediate heart of emotion, that it responded emotionally initially, and this is the crazy thing about this soil, is that people can just turn like that. And after years of ministry, there's people I've worked with, and all of a sudden they're just gone. I'm like, what happened? It's like instantly they just decided they're gone. 
mean, years ago, we had a guy stand up here. He gave his testimony. He was, in, he was crying his eyes out. And less than a year later, he was I want nothing to do with this. It was gone. You remember who I'm talking about, don't you, Bruce? Yeah. That was sad to see that. And we've had many like that. And it's like oh, they impulsively sprang up, and then they decided, you know what? They're like Demas. Demas, we're just told, in love with this present world, has de- deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. In love with the present world, deserted me and gone. He was done. Then you have the idolatrous heart. This is the third soil. The third soil is really this strangled heart. The word's being planted. The word's not a problem, but the word is being planted, and there's all these thorns. There hasn't been a proper cultivation in this area. And the the three W's here are the worries, the wealth, and the wishes. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. I wish I had a little bit more of that. If I just wish I had a little bit more of that. The literal translation here of this idea of this third soil is the cares of this world is really the anxieties and the worries of the world. And then it's the deception of abundance, the deception of abundance, and then it's the lust for the rest, the other things. There's just always a little lust of something else that we could have. And so this one just chokes, this chokes out the world. And so I think what we're seeing is kind of the fallout from the pandemic. And what we're seeing is that this pandemic was a lot greater than we realized. It was a scientific, scientific pandemic that now we have all these disagreements that have fallen out over science, and you have a political pandemic fallout, you have a social pandemic fallout, you have uh, you know, social issues, you have economic issues, you have financial issues. There's all kinds of fallout, but it's produced lots of fears, lots of worries. And I just want to challenge particularly those that are listening at home, that some of you are more fearful of what you might contract here than you are fearful of the spiritual consequences of not being with the body of Christ. Like, you need to come back. The body needs you, but we we need you to be part of the body. There's this mix of, like, when you're not here, the body suffers, And we grow up together into him. We grow with a growth that comes from God as we're knit together and built up together. But if there's fears that say, I can't come because I'm still afraid I'm going to contract COVID, what about the fear of forsaking the assembly of gathering together? I mean, the Bible says that leads to a hardening by the deceitfulness of sin. You can't get communion and community. And I would say even for us here, you can, it can easy to just check out and be quickly out or barely involved. And we need the body of Christ. And what we're seeing is that there's constantly a war going on in the heart. And the war is, and the war is always about one thing. It's about the treasure. It's always about the treasure. What's the treasure of your heart? Is the treasure Jesus? Is the treasure the word? Or is the treasure something else? Because there's this, if there's this, you know, when things are not going well, then all of a sudden we have these anxieties of the world. But when things are going well, then we have the deception of abundance. And we can easily just succumb to that, man. We've got places to go, places to see, always more places to see, always more real estate to look at, always more things to purchase, more stocks to purchase, more bonds now to purchase, more cars to look at. There's always nicer and better things to upgrade and improve your kitchen and your, your granite countertops and your shower 
shower and your, and your whole redo every... I mean, there's always more that needs to be done. And, and you got to get going when you get home and get on it. And you think, well, then I'll be happy. But Solomon says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me. And my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was the reward for my, all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Isn't it interesting that we're the most abundant country in the world and we have more depression and more suicide and more despair here than, than anywhere else? They talk about us. It's, we have actually more problems because it doesn't satisfy the heart. The heart will always want what? The lust for the little bit more of other things, the rest. The lust for the rest. There's still something. I just, I think this will do it. And the Bible just says, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, desire to flesh and the eyes, the pride of life, they come not from the Father, but from the world. The world is passing away along with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And that's how the chapter ended when he said, who are my brothers and my sisters? It's those who do the will of God. And so this last one is this increasing heart. Isn't this this interesting idea that we're, our heart is either growing or shrinking right now? That's a scary thought, isn't it? But, but the Bible talks about when I, when I run in the way of your commandments, you will enlarge my heart. And like Paul could say to the Corinthian church, open wide your hearts you know, we pray for God to expand our hearts because our hearts are too small to take it in. But the things of this world, if that's what you focus on, then your hearts begin to shrivel. But as we're, we're growing, as the seed gets planted, the seed of the gospel, what happens when the seed does its work in our hearts? I've been reading, recently read this book called Surprised by Oxford by Carolyn Weber. It's a great story of a woman that is a thoroughgoing feminist, and she's Yale-educated. She goes off to Harvard to do her doctorate, and it's called Surprise by Oxford, playing on Surprise by Joy. She meets a guy that shares the gospel with her, and she begins to, with all of her energy, fight against it and do everything she can to refute it. And anyway, this is what she just says after she's the first time that he has shared the gospel with her. And she says, this, that is the bizarre thing about the good news. Um, who knows how you were really heard in one day, but once you've heard it, I mean really heard it, you can never unhear it. Once you've read it or spoken it or thought it, even if it irritates you, even if you hate hearing it or cannot find it feasible or try to dismiss it, you cannot unread it or unspeak it or unthink it. It's like a great big elephant in a tiny room. Its obvious presence begins to squeeze out everything, everything else, including your own little measly self. Some accept it easily, some accept it quickly, and some are struck with the mystical reality of it right away. 
These people have no trouble bringing the unseen into the realm of the seen, but others of us fight the elephant. We push back on it. We try to ignore it, get it to leave the room or attempt to leave the room ourselves, but it does not help. The trunk keeps curling around the doorknob. The hook is there. It may snooze or loom or rise or recede, but regardless of the time passed or the vanity and endured, the idea keeps coming back like a cosmic boomerang you just cannot throw away. The great hound of heaven pursues his people and the word is knocking and Jesus comes knocking at the door today of your hearts and he says, if you open the door, I'll come in and sup with you and you you with me. He's come to have a meal with you, to dine with you, to have fellowship with you and if these other things are crowding it out, then we're not going to be able to do what, the, when, what, what Colossians says in Colossians 1.6. It says, the gospel is at work in us, bearing fruit and growing. It's not static. This is a living word. But then he, as Paul prays for the believers, he prays that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so is our, are our hearts increasing Do we have this increasing thirst for the word of God, to be around believers, to see his kingdom spread, to see what God is doing around the world? Or are our hearts becoming shriveled where that's really not important to us? We have to ask God, like, Lord, make me like that newborn infant. We're commanded to crave the pure spiritual milk that by it we may grow up to salvation. Let's pray together. Lord God, we would ask that you would open wide these hearts, that you would break up the fallow ground, the hard-heartedness, where there's been a lack of desire for you, a lack of love for believers around the world, those who suffer, our lack of love, Lord, for the oppressed. And Lord, our inordinate desires and affections for things that are really trivial and not lasting or eternal. Forgive us. We pray that, Lord, as we come to your table now, Lord, meet with us. Show us, Lord, may we taste and see that you are good and that you're better than all that this world has to offer. And we pray that, Lord, we would... um, Find our joy afresh in you, and that we would go and bear fruit, we ask in Jesus' name.